You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, episode 29. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars, Music Therapists Talk Motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Ramback, and this podcast is for music therapists and anyone else balancing a passion-fueled career with being a mom. This podcast is sponsored by Music Teachers Helper, the best way to manage your private music lesson studio and or music therapy practice. I've used Music Teachers Helper every single day since 2011, and it is one of the best tools I have to keep my private practice running smoothly. Music Teachers Helper is online scheduling and billing software, which you can access from your computer, laptop, tablet, and smartphone, and saves you hours every month, enables you to generate reports for taxes, and ensures you never lose track of a payment. Once you add a student, which is super easy, you can choose to automatically send students custom invoices that can be paid by credit card if you make that an option. Automatically email lesson and session reminders, late payment notifications, notes, and so much more. So many amazing features, I can't even list them all here. Every user also receives a free, easy to build website template to help market your studio or private practice. Ditch the costly web designer or programmers and have complete control over your website content. With dozens of professional templates available, you'll be sure to find one that best expresses your style. Whether you have 5 or 50 students, Music Teachers Helper works with studios and practices of all sizes. They offer a 30-day no-risk trial where you can test it out to discover how much time you'll be saving. If you use the link in the show notes or go to www.musicteachershelper.com slash podcast, you'll save 20% off your first month if you choose to sign up after the trial. In this episode, I'm chatting with Alana Seaton. Alana is a master's level music therapist in Knoxville, Tennessee. She currently has a part-time private practice and a part-time position with the Knoxville Symphony Orchestra's Music and Wellness Program. She has experience with diverse psychiatric populations, special needs populations, and is currently conducting research with the KSO on the effects of live music on waiting room behaviors. Alana is a mommy to a musical seven-year-old, mobile 10-year-old, two geriatric kitties, and wife to a funky bass-playing husband. Alana, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So I always like to start with asking a little bit about your background and how you became a music therapist. That's an interesting story. Uh, When I got to college, I knew I wanted to study psychology, um, but also pursue music studies because I was not able to do that growing up. Uh, When I got to college, my professors were kind of like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, maybe I'll be a psychologist who sings. I I don't know. Um, And then actually it was my ear training professor who kind of cornered me my sophomore year and said, well, Alana, we should really think about what you want to do. Well, what would you like to do with your degree? And I thought, well, I always wanted to be a counselor, a psychologist, some kind of therapist. And then she told me, well, have you heard about music therapy? 
And I said, no, what's that? And she said, that would be a good research project for you. And I went, nuts. <laughs> so I went to our, our university's library and there were only maybe three books on music therapy, um, an Uncafer book, one on music therapy with developmental disabilities, and I can't remember the third one, but I was really intrigued by what I read. So I started looking into it and kind of did a hybrid uh, bachelor degree because my university did not offer music therapy. Um, so I got a bachelor of music, uh, musical arts with, um, I was going to do a second major in psychology, but class scheduling didn't work that out. So I got a minor in psychology and then I went to graduate school for music therapy and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I kind of did my education the hard way, wherein I did an equivalency degree along with graduate studies, which I don't usually recommend to the students I work with over the years, um, because it was really difficult that way. But I think having to play catch up from my background, it was kind of what I needed. So, and ever since that, I've just loved it ever since I've loved it ever since then. That is so scary because honestly, your story and mine are almost exactly the same. <laughs> I, <laughs> I found music therapy while doing a research paper on, um, careers in music and mm -hmm. kind of scrambled to, to do some psychology classes before I graduated and then went and did my equivalency and my master's at the same time. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and I doing music therapy one-on-one -on -one and music therapy research one-on-one -on -one was a little bit of a, I call, I kept saying schizophrenic, but now I know schizophrenic is a little bit of a, a, a multi-personality yes. <laughs> kind of experience. Exactly. It's like you're in classes with freshmen in college, you know, for part of the day, and then you go to a night class and it's a graduate level class. Right. So yes. yeah, I had that same experience and it was definitely interesting. And I really had like this kind of clash of, okay, who am I? Am I an undergraduate student? Am I a grad student? Because yeah. I'd also yeah. graduated a year early from from grad or from my undergrad. So I was like the same age as some of these people, but you know, it was, it was very interesting. So, but I think that that's more common than we realize with music therapists because so many of us didn't know about music therapy going into our undergraduate studies. Yes. Well, and uh, over the years that I've had practicum students and worked with intern students in different places, it, I, I really tell everybody that the walk to become a music therapist, really, there's no, there's no clear path. I mean, nobody comes to it straight. Yes. I mean, even if you decide that that's what you wanted to do and you've known growing up, I've known, I actually went to school with um, a guy whose mother was a music therapist. And so he already knew about it and thought that everybody did it and our school didn't offer it. So, but ev everybody I think comes to this career path kind of however they need to. I mean, it, it, you, you, in order, I think, well, let me rewind my brain. I think the, the calling or the occupation or the choice to become a music therapist doesn't look like, or take this shape or form as other people in other healthcare fields. I think it's a very unique, <laughs> a unique career path to choose. And so I think that the way to become one just really, it really meets, everybody gets what they need when they need it in the ways that they need it. And there's no two ways, just like a session, right? There's no two that look alike or look exactly alike. They're similar, but they're never two exactly alike. Yeah, you said that perfectly. And that's why I always like to include um, my guests talking about their background and their career mm -hmm. path because they're always so interesting and it's mm -hmm. always so unique. Everybody has a different story. It's not like, 
oh, you know, I've always said from the time I was three years old, I want to be a music therapist because most people don't know about music therapy until later in their lives. So yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that. So walk us through, um, kind of your path to starting your career once you finished school and at what point did you decide that you were going to jump into starting a family? How'd that look? Uh, well, all right. This is another interesting story. <laughs> I went to Loyola University in New Orleans for my graduate work. Um, I love the city. I love New Orleans. I grew up in Hawaii. So the food, the music, the culture, everything felt really familiar to me. The warm weather, a little bit warmer than I was used to, but everything felt really familiar to me. So I... Um, took, it took me probably two years to finish all the coursework. Um, and Loyola's program at the time was once you finish equivalency, you still needed to do internship. Um, and so I did that and then, um, did my, you know, took the test. Um, and then I finished thesis. So my thesis for the graduate part of my degree took a little bit longer to do because I did internship first and then I focused on thesis while I was working. Um, And then over the course of all that, from my graduate work through internship and thesis, I met my husband, who is now my husband, um, and we had gotten married, I think right after I finished, not long after I finished internship and was working on my thesis and work, you know, working part-time as a music therapist and starting to see some private clients. And then because we were in New Orleans, this would have been, we got married in 2004, 2005, which actually the 10 year anniversary is coming up. Hurricane Katrina hit the Southern coast and the Gulf. So <laughs> ironically, I had gotten to my thesis committee, the Wednesday, the storm hit on a Sunday. That prior Wednesday, I had just gotten approval from my thesis committee to start collecting data for my thesis project, um, which was the use of um, music and progressive muscle relaxation with eating disordered patients. I had just gotten approval from my thesis committee. I had gotten approval from the IRB board at the hospital that I worked at. And then we had to evacuate for Hurricane Katrina and everything went out the window. Um, So we were not back to the city for two months. I didn't know where I was going to work. Um, The hospital had been evacuated and flooded and everything that I had been planning for kind of went all the way up in the air and I didn't know what was going to land. So what ended up happening was that my husband and I decided to move to Atlanta um, because there was a hospital there who was under the same parent company as the hospital that I work for in New Orleans. And they agreed to allow me to collect data and kind of bypass or just take on your IRB approved it. So IR, our IRB will approve it too and allow me to collect data. They gave me a part-time job so that I could work. Um, there was a clinic um, right down the street Um, with outpatient eating disorder patients whom I had another connection with who would allow me to collect data with some of their patients. So we decided to move to Atlanta so that I could get my thesis done because that became the priority so I could finish my degree and everything would be done. And after living in Atlanta for about nine months, and no offense to anyone from Atlanta, I decided that Atlanta was not the place for us. (laughs) We both decided that it was just too big of a city for us, and it was really not what we were wanting. Um, And then we decided 
to move <clears throat> to where my husband's brother and sister were both living at the time, which is the East Tennessee area. So we currently live in Knoxville. And once I was done with thesis and everything kind of got wrapped up there, we decided to move. We moved up to um, an apartment up here. We went back to New Orleans a couple of times to clean out our apartment there. Um, and then I once I was done with um, writing up my thesis um, and went back to New Orleans to get it approved, and then I, I started a private practice. So I started pretty much cold call marketing and trying to figure out um, what was going on here. There were no music therapists in Knoxville practicing at the time. There were only two who were still listed under CBMT um, who were not practicing. Actually, one worked for a, a beauty product corporation. Another one was actually moving to Seattle, so she was leaving. So when I started, there was nobody here and there was nothing going on with music therapy. So I literally started from scratch. Um, I guess that would have been 10 years ago now, <laughs> almost 10 years ago. Wow. So, I just yeah. have to interrupt for a second and tell yes. you that I'm listening to your story and I'm feeling like secondhand stress for you thinking about yeah. <laughs> how right. just overwhelming that must have been between trying to finish your degree and write a thesis and, and then have to uproot from your home, you know, by force, right. like you, you had no choice. There were some pretty dark days. I remember... After we finally got to our apartment in Louisville, which is right near the airport here in Knoxville, it's a little a little town. I remember there were some days I just I literally could not get out of bed. I I am almost convinced now there is a bunch of PTSD going on um, because it was just. And now, personally, if you're talking about a hurricane, the other piece of it was actually right the the year my husband and I got married, Hurricane Ivan came through. So my our wedding had been derailed by a hurricane oh. just the year before. Yeah, so we're talking like, I think, I what did we count? Four hurricanes because there was Hurricane Ivan. Oh, and then on our honeymoon, Hurricane Jean hit in Florida while we were on our honeymoon. And then not, not even a year later before I, in August, because we were married in September, a year, not even a year later, Hurricane Katrina hit. And then when we were planning to come back to the city, once the water had drained, then Hurricane Rita hit. So we're talking four hurricanes in a year and a half. That, that is pretty, insane. Right? That pretty much derailed everything that I had, quote unquote, plan, that we had planned on. So when we got to Tennessee and we got, my thesis was done and my husband was actually able to transfer a job. He worked for Guitar Center at the time. He transferred a job to a job up here and everything was set. The cats, we had our stuff. We had closed everything in New Orleans. I literally, there was probably a month where I didn't get out of bed much just because it was so, I mean, how much change really? How much change can you have when, you're, and then, you know, the first couple of hurricanes, it was like, okay, this really sucks, but all right, we'll, you know, we'll deal with it. I can, I'm going with the flow and my husband and I have, are, have a great partnership and a great friendship. And after the fourth hurricane, it was kind of like, I give, <laughs> I just, I'm just not going to do anything for a little while. So it took me a little while to kind of get on my feet again, just to get motivated. All right. I need something to do. I need to figure out what I want to be. How do I want to do this? And I really honestly didn't have a whole lot of support as far as music therapy out here. Um, the closest resource I had was Michael Clark, who was in uh, who was in Middle Tennessee. So I talked a lot with him about kind of what the area was because I didn't really know what I was going into. And um, honestly, I think what saved me personally um, before we even talked about having a family was I 
received some belly dance lessons from a lady I had met through some other people who were had been evacuated from Louisiana that live in East Tennessee. And she gave me three belly dance classes as my 30th birthday gift. And I think that's probably between that and the other people that I met from Louisiana, probably what saved my sanity was to have something physically that I could feel good about myself, get back in touch with my body and my power and my energy and really give me, it kind of gave me a a road to get back to a sense of self because I felt so good doing belly dance and I felt so good using the muscles that I did. And I felt so good being around this really great group of ladies who was, who were just having fun and loving their bodies and just loving, I mean, just loving moving that it really kind of helped boost me to give me some internal resources back again because it was there were some I'll be honest there were some really dark really dark days I mean we were in a city we didn't know and we had my husband's brother and um his sister and her husband but you know so he had some resources but I didn't really I mean I didn't have any of my coworkers. I didn't have the university I didn't have the good I mean all all our friends from New Orleans pretty much scattered for quite a while I think was at least a year maybe two years before any of them who were going back went back and several of us never actually got to go back um and I'm not from Louisiana but I made some really good friends and connections and I had done you know all my practicums there and we're getting you know it's just like you said it was just this big humongous uprooted by force that takes a lot I think I have a lot of compassion for people who just are faced with an immediate life change that just rocks your world because for a while I was telling people, I'm like, my world got rocked and it's not stable again. And I think even now, 10 years looking back, we, I, my husband and I have every, every anniversary of the hurricane, we talk, well, where are we now? What are we doing? We, you know, where are we? And every year he says, we're not here. We're not where we started 10 years ago. You know, we're not where we want to be yet, but we're not where we were and what we've had to overcome. And I mean, we, I could go on and on about my life. I mean, we flooded here, <laughs> After my daughter was about two, we had a massive, massive thunderstorms come here, come through Knoxville. A drain we have running near our house got clogged and flooded our basement and garage. So everything that I had saved from New Orleans, including my wedding dress and wedding pictures and things I had put in tubs to kind of keep until we could sort through them, 18 inches of water, lifted them all up, the stacks of tubs, and tipped them over. So everything we had saved from our life in New Orleans got wet. Oh, and a lot of it got ruined. So, yeah, and that was <laughs> that was probably four or five years. Yeah, it was about five years ago. My daughter's seven now. So, yeah, that was about five years ago. So it, it's kind of interesting because... I look at like the music that I've used for my own. I think you, the list you gave me said something about self-care that I look at the list of music that I've used over the years. And I, and I tell people, cause whenever I meet someone who wants to know about what music therapy is and what it does. And I, the question I often get is, well, do you use music? And my answer is yes, absolutely. And I'll tell you exactly how I use music. I use music to help with my sadness. I use music to distract me. I use music to bring up feelings so that I can have a good cry about something that is really upsetting me. Um, and so just my own personal relationship with music has been so, um, poignant, intense, (laughs) um, uh, what's the word, um, visceral, um, because there's been so much change and, and transition and, and things that I just could not control um, 
happen that that music has kind of been my own lifeline you know music in the belly dance belly dance music really speaks to my body and when I move and use the muscles for belly dance moves and when I'm performing or when I'm just even working on you know different techniques and movements to really feel the music in my body and have my muscles connect and you know my spirit and my soul connect with music that way has been really powerful so I feel really grateful that as a music therapist, I knew to turn to music when I needed it. One of those days that I couldn't get out of bed, I cranked up my sad songs. I cranked up how much I missed the city that I had come to love and come to find my independence and adulthood and womanhood in. You know, I crank up the music that just resonated with my whole body so that I could move through this gigantic storm, pardon the pun, of emotion and feeling about everything that had happened. So it's been quite a ride. (laughs) I don't think there's anybody on this earth that has been quite as affected as many times as you have by forces of nature, literally. Uh, I'm I'm sure they're out there, but I can't imagine that there have been many. No. (laughs) No, I think of like the the tsunami victims and the people that just, I mean, you just, it's life changing, right? And I, I, I think back of how grateful I am that we had not yet bought a house. So we didn't have that kind of financial investment that so many, so many families did. I didn't have to be, you know, stuck in the roof with my children and having to hand my child to a Coast Guard worker through a hole that we chopped in this, you know, the ceiling. There are so many intense experiences from that disaster that I am so very grateful that we didn't have to survive through. But at the same time, to just have, it's like, nature just took this god the universe whatever however you describe it in your life just took this big hand and wiped everything clean and at first it was like holy cow what do i do i don't know where to start and then a few years into it it was like you know anything that i had been complaining about before anything that i wanted to change and didn't feel like i could anything and there were some things about living in the city and actually the work i was doing that i was starting to feel really stuck at anything that i had wanted to change and felt helpless or powerless that I couldn't got changed for me. So then I started to think, well, I now have the opportunity to create what I want. I have the opportunity now to build the life that I want. I have, and and my husband and I actually had long talks those first few years after Hurricane Katrina. Do we really want to go back? Because people were starting to go back and things were starting to rebuild and is our life together about the city we're in or is our life together about something else and something more? And um, those discussions really, I think, were for us were important, particularly when we were talking about starting a family, because my nice little OCD type A personality, music therapist going to get everything, all my ducks lined in a row was like, we're not there yet. We don't have money. You're still working. You're working on commission. How are we going to do this? And what happens if we flood, you know, or what happens if something else happens? All that stress and anxiety and worry we had to talk about. And my husband, God bless him, is this really even keeled rock of pragmatic (laughs) stability, (laughs) even though the hurricane rattled him. And he was like, you know, my home is wherever you are. My home and my family is wherever we at, regardless of what city we're at. And and it might seem cliche. His point was, you know, we're never going to be ready. We're never going to be financially ready to have a kid. We're never going to be at the perfect place we want. And we're starting, we were starting what I feel like was so far behind other couples 
you know, who are coming out of college and finishing their degrees or finishing med school, we were, I felt like we had stepped a decade back from where we were and starting with nothing. And my husband actually said he's, his 40th birthday is coming up next month. And he said, I said, well, how do you feel now? You're 10 years, 10 years now have gone by. And he said, I am so much better in a place when I was 30 and I turned 30 because we were, we had been evacuated for a month. Yeah, we had been evacuated. No, actually less than a month. We had been evacuated for two weeks. We didn't know where we were going to live. We had our one car because my car had flooded. We had our two cats. We didn't know where we were going to work. We didn't know what was going to He's like, I was homeless, jobless, shifting and in exile from the life that we knew. And he said, we are so much farther along than where we were. And it may not be where anybody else is at our age, but we are doing so much better than we were that I'm grateful for that. And, you know, how can you argue with that? He's exactly right. We are so much different in so much of a different place than where we were and have come so far that I keep reminding myself of that when (laughs) like this week contracts didn't go as well. I'm like, different. This is not where I was. This is different. We're different. I'm still doing okay. So yeah. Talk about gaining perspective and being able to look at situations you come across now completely differently than you might have had you not had those experiences. Right. Right. So how were you able to, so you mentioned that the belly dancing really kind of catapulted Mm -hmm. you out of that, that, um, those dark days and and helped you move forward. Mm -hmm. Where did you go from there? Um, well, just a little bit at a time, right? So starting, restarting my practice, um, I decided to focus on working with kids. Um, because I mean, Knoxville was a pretty open slate and I kind of felt like, I wanted to stick with what I knew. And as a um, graduate student and um, like part-time student therapist, working with some families with kids on the autism spectrum, I I decided that 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 was a strength that I had that I could focus on rather than trying to start something brand new that I didn't really know because my, I knew my internal resources were just beginning to be rebuilt. So um, um, I just started one family at a time, (laughs) honestly. And then word kind of got around that there was a music therapist in town. Um, and I, I honestly had, I think to begin with, I probably had anywhere from maybe three to five clients, um, for the first couple of years. Um, and honestly, I think I, I officially started my practice in 2007. Um, and later that year, which is also the year I turned 30. So I guess that dates me now, but um, that was the year that I also got pregnant. Um, Interestingly enough. And when we, when my husband and I had been in new Orleans, we had um, been trying to get pregnant right after, not long after we got married, um, decided that, well, we were going to try. And I had had some interesting physical things going on. My body, the doctors weren't sure if I was infertile, but we were kind of trying to see what was going on to to see whether I could conceive or not. So we weren't on any kind of fertility drugs or anything necessarily, but we were trying to do some different things. And so I wasn't honestly even sure that I was going to get pregnant, but apparently belly dancing did the trick because (laughs) that fall is my birthday's in February and that fall I found out I was pregnant. So that's when things kind of rolled into gear about, okay, we're going to have a baby 
you've got your practice up and going. We need to find a house. We need to put down some roots because we're going to start our family. And so we looked for a house and we got a house later that fall. And um, I had my daughter was born in June of 2008. And from then on, I kind of took it easy because I wasn't working for anybody or working for a facility. We decided that I would take some time with the baby at first. So I think she was probably six months old before I, I took back a client, a couple of the clients that I had had before I gave birth. Um, and, um, that was an interesting ride too, because I ended up having an emergency C-section with her. So that was another kind of whoa, all right, this is not what I thought it was going to be event. And I had an, ended up having an infection. And so the recovery from, from her birth took a lot longer, I think, than I had anticipated or had really even been aware that it could take to recover. Um, so that kind of shifted my restart to working again, because you know, when you can't lift your child up <laughs> because you have no strength, it kind of was like, well, maybe I probably shouldn't go back to work as soon as I wanted to. So that was an interesting detour of kind of what my original plan, you know, what we had planned on. Um, and then ever since then, uh, I think a lot of how I work and how my business has grown reflects this area. Um, you know, I had mentioned when I got here, there was really nobody practicing. Um, this area tends to be fairly more conservative about what people are willing to try with regard to therapies and different healthcare services. So getting something going has been a real slug, slow process. Um, but I think now looking back, we are, I am what, it's 2000. We're eight years now. I'm eight years into my practice, having my practice here. I'm just starting to now get calls from people who I've either worked with or have heard about me or my website's getting more recognition when people do a search for music therapy in this area. So I think in looking back how everything changed so quickly, I think everything is growing slowly, which is, I think, what I am needing um, I think if I were to get a bunch of clients really fast and really soon and everything would just explode, I don't know that it would stick. Um, last year, last fall, I gave birth naturally to my, our second daughter, who's now 10 months old. And Congratulations. That, thank you. Yeah. And that's really changed a, a lot. Again, I mean, I, I, um, I got into a groove with being a part-time music therapist and part, you know, and a mom and kind of balancing sort of half staying home, half working and all that with my daughter. And then she got into kindergarten and that freed up a lot of my day. So I did a lot during the day. I caught up on a lot of stuff. I was able to network and make calls and, and catch up things during the day. I also, um, three years ago, got a part-time job with the Knoxville Symphony Orchestra, working as a music therapist with their musicians in the music and wellness program that they have. Um, and so that changed how my day flowed and how, um, you know, how I balanced everything. And then once the baby was born last fall, that changed everything all over again. And so, I don't know. I guess my life has been all about change <laughs> now that I look on it. That's an understatement. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really, I don't know. I think that I, um, 
I'm, I'm more now, and it's interesting, you know, when we were trying to schedule this talk and how everything, looking at what I had planned this week and what actually happened this week are completely different things. <laughs> Not expecting the girls to be uh, testing positive for strep throat, which then changed around how the babysitter came, which then changed around which work I did, which then changed around what I'm doing in the evening. So all this stuff about going with the flow, and I mean, I, I know it can get really cliche, but it really... If parenthood and mommy music therapisthood have taught me anything, it's about really what's the rhythm for today. And honestly, I was I was I did a group Monday morning um, for some um, cancer patients, and the theme of the improvisation was really about just going with the flow. And it really seems kind of cliche, but I think that's maybe how I've survived. And I. I all the things that have happened, I mean, I've had so much support, even though my family is not close and my husband's family, his parents and other friends have not been close. I've had so many people supporting me from far and supporting with their energies, but really just taking taking each moment as it comes and taking it day by day. And this moment is not so great. And I kind of wish it would be over, but you know what? There will be a better moment coming up later on. And so just understanding, I think parenthood probably taught me that the most. If you get used to something being good, it's going to change. If you're in a moment that really sucks, it's going to change. <laughs> and it's just about being able to flow with what the moment is. And some moments are much better than others. And some there's sometimes where it's just a really long string of bad moments. <laughs> right. Yeah. I but, I feel almost like every day and even sometimes every hour is like a game of dominoes. And one thing happens and it just affects everything else. And you just have to pick them back up and, and set them up and kind of restart things. And, mm -hmm. and we have that ability. You know, we, we are able to – you know, if we can't change our circumstances, we can at least change our mindset or our perspective. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point that you make. Um, so let's let's back up just a little bit because okay. I want to hear more about. Um, you said that you had an unexpected um, C-section, and I'm yes. sure that took a huge toll on you emotionally and obviously physically. <laughs> so how did you how did you cope with that, and how did you move forward? Um, with parenting and, and, you know, taking that time away from, from music therapy? Um, I think, well, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I right. think that for, <laughs> for my, my oldest daughter's birth, I think I prepared as best I could with the resources that I had and the practitioner that I had. Um, in hindsight, I think that my first OB probably wasn't as supportive of a natural birth, which is what I had wanted to do. Um, as I now understand that she probably could have been and then seeing what other resources are in our area. Um, so I think that, um, the birth could have gone very differently and I probably, there were probably some other things that could have been done to maybe change the direction of how her birth went. But I think that I felt, and I said this at the end, I mean, I was disappointed to not have a natural birth, but I really felt like I did the best that I could. And I really felt like my baby was trying to come out the natural way. Um, but I think that I, I may have been, 
it was rushed. And I think that my body and my spirit and my energy, because of all the stress that I had been through, needed more time. My water broke really early. And so I was kind of put on that 24 hour clock to give, you know, to, to have the baby out. And I ended up having an infection and I labored a long time and had an epidural and I, kind of that string that domino, like you said, domino effect of interventions and ended up laboring for 24 hours and had a fever and the baby's heart rate was getting fast. And so, um, a C-section was the, the safest way to get, get her, the baby out and save everybody's life, which I'm very grateful for. Um, so I don't feel like I had a lot of regret about how it happened because at the time, given the resources that I had and the education that I did and the you know research we did about having a baby and all that, I think I did the best that I could for that birth. Um, and I think I was able to more with the C-section probably than with the hurricane, cut myself a little bit more slack. Um, interestingly enough, I'm was still fairly hard on myself for feeling so wiped out after the hurricane, even though most people kept telling me, Oh my gosh, I don't know how I would do it. After a couple of months, I was kind of like, all right, I need to get out my, off my bum and do something. And I was still fairly hard on myself to kind of keep going and you can't let this get you down and just kind of push through everything. After I had my, the C-section with my daughter I was kind of like, you know what, you've just been through a lot and your body's been through a lot. And I think one of the nurses put it to me. She said, you know, it was kind of like running a marathon and then having major surgery. So it's going to take a while for your body to recover. And you've got to care for this little one now. So you are really going to have to take care of yourself. Um, so I think that was kind of my first real visceral experience of I have somebody who's depending on me, literally physically depending on me for nutrition um, because I was really, really set on breastfeeding. Um, and it took three weeks for my milk to come in, I think, because of all the stress and the antibiotics I was on and the exhaustion from laboring for 24 hours. And so it took a while for my body to finally relax and and, and um produce milk. So that whole experience really was like, okay, you got to take it easy. You've got to give yourself sleep when the baby sleeps and all the things they tell you to do nap when the baby naps, all those things that I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And I'm not going to worry about that. So it was six months. I think I mentioned earlier, it was six months before I really felt like I was in a, a, a state of internal you know, um, reserve. I had enough reserve that I could start thinking about actually giving, you know, in a therapy session and being, being present for someone else where I'm not getting feedback. Because of course I tell, I tell this to my students a lot, a therapy relationship looks a lot like the relationships you have on the outside, but you're not getting anything back. You know, the, the purpose of a therapy relation, a therapeutic relationship is not for the therapist to get something back from your client. And so it's a situation where you are giving and you are giving and you are giving and you are being the support and being the container for and being this facilitator for a client, but you're not necessarily getting that reserve back. And so I had to be really clear with myself, am I ready to give and do I have enough support in the other areas of my life to be able to get myself filled and my, you know, have my, do I have a therapist or do I have friends that I talk to that I, you know, that really hear and validate what I'm going through? Do I have 
you know, people I can call, you know, I, I really got in touch with some of my old coworkers to just kind of vent about this is really hard and there's nobody who knows what music therapy is. And I don't know if I'm going to get anywhere. Do I have those resources so that I can actually be present and, you know, give a client my hundred percent because I didn't want to go back into working with kids, kids, especially because they, I mean, they pick up on when you're not yourself and they'll, they'll jump on it like that. So I didn't want to go into taking on a client and taking on a family's trust to work with their children when I wasn't in a place that I could be 100% for them. Um, so I became much more intentional. I think that first C-section that my C-section just gave me, um, it gave me a real visceral physical impetus. If I didn't have the energy, I had no energy. I mean, I just had none. And so it was like, oh, okay, I guess I need to take the next few days and nap some and make sure I'm going to bed. And how can I enlist my husband's help with the baby when I can't, you know, I'm really tired and I can't lift her up. So those first, um, I would say even eight weeks after her birth were really eye-opening and were a real big adjustment. And then that first six months to a year, I really gave myself time. And my, I talked to my husband about it because, of course, the other concern for me was financial, you know, financial thing. Can we do this? Can I not, you know, push getting back into practice so that I can really make sure that I'm healing well? Because I knew that if I didn't heal well, um, I just, you know, it, it would it would not be a good situation later down the road. I just, if I couldn't allow myself the time and space I needed to heal my heart and my body and my psyche, that I just, I wouldn't be good for anybody. I wouldn't be a good mother. I wouldn't be a good therapist. And it would, it would just kind of disintegrate real quick. So that C-section then turned into when we were starting to talk about having another baby um, because, and we actually had tried for several years and nothing had happened. And I wasn't sure what my body was going to do. And um, my husband has actually changed a couple of jobs. He now has uh, a little bit more stable job, um, well, a lot more stable job um, than working for commission. So our lives are really different. But I knew going into my second pregnancy that there were going to be a lot of things that I would do differently. So I would say in the past probably two or three years, particularly after I found out we were pregnant um, in January of, of last year, that I was going to address any doubts that I had about making, caring for myself and making sure I had the support that I needed. Any doubts about whether or not I should do that were out, went out the window. So I made sure that we budgeted for a doula. I made sure that I interviewed OBs and interviewed and talked to people about which practitioner would be the most supportive of me having a, a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, I made sure I've been, um, with my first daughter, I became a part of an attachment parenting support group for supporting the way I wanted to parent her and not listening to what my doctor was telling me, which is that she should have been sleeping through the night by nine months. And I'm like, well, she's not. So, well, you should, you know, you should, she should be sleeping. She's capable of it. So I, following my instinct and trusting my intuition and making sure I got myself what I needed first became my priority. And I am so grateful that the birth with my second daughter was a beautiful vaginal birth. It, I labored for two days. I had a great team of support around me. I had a great doula. My husband has been fabulous. I had one of my best friends who was another uh, attachment parent um, come and support my heart and my spirit. And it happened. <laughs> Honestly, it was pretty funny because I had done all these things. Like I had done some 
um, visualization and music <laughs> CDs, which I'm very interested about music therapy and, and labor. Cause had there been somebody in town, I probably would have hired them. Um, I had visualization cards and I had candles and we had planned to use a laboring tub and I had all these like support things like set up to use for the, my second, my second um, labor and birth. And I moved so quickly by the time I was ready to give birth from, I think it was probably, I went from five centimeters to nine centimeters in 10 minutes that all my support stuff was in the van parked in the front of the hospital. They didn't have time to open the tub. They, we didn't have time to do anything. As soon as I got checked in at triage, I moved. I had the baby, I think, within the hour. <laughs> wow. By the wow. time I got there, I probably pushed for 45 minutes and she came out. And I was like, and at first it was funny because I thought, well, I did all that work and I, I didn't get to use my candles. We didn't put up my, my positive affirmation. I had my daughter and I had made these watercolor paintings that I was going to put up on the wall. And I had these led candles that I was going to put. I'm like, my husband had made playlists of the music that I wanted. And I'm like, I didn't get to use any of it. And my husband said, well, no, but you got the birth that you wanted. You labored mostly at home. We actually had gone to the hospital when I first, when the contraction started picking up and I hadn't dilated at all. So they sent me home and I was like, oh, great. Well, let's hope this doesn't end badly. And, but I pretty much labored at home. I was in my own bed in my own bathtub. We walked the house. My daughter went and um, hung out with my mother-in-law for the weekend. And then, I mean, I pretty much, they, I moved so quickly, they didn't have time to put an IV in. So there was no time to do any of the interventions that had gotten suggested and then used for my first daughter. And I had her completely naturally and it was beautiful. And I had the people around me who I wanted and I loved and it was incredible. And my doula said, she's like, you know, I think that some of the support that, that we do, you know, some of these things that support a woman in labor, she's like, sometimes it's just for your, your, your mind, right? She's like, you did the work, you had the affirmations in your head, you listened to the music you did. She's like, you had us, you had your team around you. She's like, really, that's what you need. And it's not necessarily about whether you get the picture or the affirmation up on the wall, but you did the work. And I thought, you know, she's absolutely right, because that's what my priority is now. My priority is making sure that I'm getting the support that I need, because if I don't, you know, like the, the cliche and that saying about your oxygen mask, right? You put your oxygen mask on first before you give your kids. If I don't put my oxygen mask on first, or if that's the warning system, the warning signal that I'm getting, you know what? I haven't been giving enough to myself. I haven't been taking time enough for myself. If, if that doesn't happen first, then I can't function as a mother. I can't function as a wife. I can't function as a therapist. I can't function as a business owner because I'm not taking care of myself first. And I think that of all the things that have happened in my life, and we haven't even gone into my childhood, honey, let me tell you, that's a whole other <laughs> conversation. Um, but of all the things that have happened, if I don't take care of myself first and I really don't take the time to be gentle with myself first, none of the rest of it is possible. I admire you so much for for having that self-awareness and being able to do that. And I think that that's something that's really hard for moms, but especially yeah. first-time yeah. moms. I mean, yeah. you have such high expectations for yourself. And I feel like this is a character trait of music therapists. We all seem to be these type A perfectionist people. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, and so it's really hard to take a step back and – and take care of yourself and give yourself grace and and forgive yourself that you're not mm -hmm. able to, you know, jump up mm -hmm. the minute you have your child and and jump back into regular life. 
I know that was something that I struggled with hugely. And I I was really hard on myself for that first postpartum year after my first child was born because I had never been in a situation where I, I needed to, I needed to take take it slow and Mm -hmm. and not, and not have that type A mentality. Um, so the fact that you were able to take that nurse's advice and to take care of yourself, I think is so amazing and probably did wonders for for your psyche and for just your overall well-being from, from that point on. Yeah. And, and I hope, I hope so. I mean, you know, I'm, I don't want to paint this rosy picture like everything is going swimmingly well because it doesn't. I mean, the the what parenthood taught me and what I think being a music therapist has helped with is that when you're a parent, anything you haven't dealt with from your childhood comes right back in your face. <laughs> I mean, it just any any struggle you have with aggression, any struggle that you have with authority or like type A having to organize and be very diligent about that. All that comes right back up in your face because children are children, are messy, are chaotic, are wonderful, are very keen. I call them little gurus because they will. T- they, if any, if there's anything you haven't dealt with in your life, your child will show you what that is. Exactly. <laughs> Point of fact. And I think when I discovered attachment parenting, it made complete sense to me because it was really what I was doing as a music therapist. I was ISOing with, as a therapist, I ISO with my clients. I meet them where they're at. I see what their needs are. I might have a plan or an idea of what I want to work on or a goal in the back of my mind that we need to work on, but I really meet them with where they're at. And I think that attachment parenting for me did that with my children. Like I was, it gave me permission to be like, oh, well, I can do this with my kids. I can meet them where they're at. I don't have to have them follow us. I don't have to have my daughter follow this timeline that somebody else has determined. I can meet her where she's at and I can see what her need is in the moment. And it became so much more validating for me. And I guess in a way it sort of blended what I already knew as a music therapist, but gave it um, language. It described what I already knew what I had already sort of learned about as a music therapist, how to meet somebody, how to make the music change and flow, how to, you know, adapt a situation, how to improvise, how to, all these things I knew as a music therapist. Then I found this language as a parent in attachment parenting that was like, holy cow, that's what I'm already doing. Yes, that makes complete sense. Oh, I don't have to follow this. It doesn't have to be about timeouts when she turned three and was starting to test limits. It doesn't have to be about that. She's needing this. I can hear her voice. I can hear the rhythm. I can look and see what the rhythm of her day is like and then adjust and then make, just like I do as a therapist, it it, it was such a light bulb for me because it was like, oh, this is how I already function as a music therapist. This is what I do in a session. It's just a different language as a parent is all it is. It's a different relationship. And now I'm getting something out of it as a parent, because it's not about meeting my client's goals, even though I have goals for my daughter and, you know, want them to be able to use the bathroom and want, you know, with my 10 month old, we're working on food and she's just starting to walk. So there are quote unquote goals for my children, but it's as a parent, it's like it, it freed me up from, I guess a part of my mind, maybe as a therapist, it's like, well, it's got to be, you know, you learn behavioral techniques, you learn psychodynamic techniques, you learn all these structured things. And as a parent, my with my first, I was kind of like, 
okay, well, I know this from psychology and I know this, but why isn't she not listening? And I've tried this and it didn't work and I'm, but it's supposed to work. But I was not sure how to navigate between what I knew as a therapist and what parenthood was turning out to be. And what I found in this kind of attached conscious parent, um, aware parent sort of approach is that it really is the same thing. It's just, I get more out of the relationship with my children because it's about staying connected and it's about, um, being able to, um, understand what the needs are of my child and still give empathetic limits and boundaries about, you know, about how our day goes and about what she can touch and not touch and how we treat people. And it's, it was just such a, um, such a freeing experience to know that, okay, what I know as a music therapist really does apply as a parent. And what I know as a parent, I'm already doing as a music therapist. And to be able to have that kind of validation was really freeing. So then, you know, like you were asking, you were saying about being gentle with myself, once that sort of meshed for me, it somehow became easier to be like, oh, well, yes, of course, this is what I need for myself. Of course, I need more support with a second pregnancy. Of course, I'm going to need this. Of course, I need a, a doctor that I trust for my pregnancy. And of course I need to take it slow. I mean, it just made sense because I could then validate myself that yes, this is what I need. I'm validating my child because this is what she needs. She's tired. She's cranky. She needs a nap. We're not going to push the store today. What am I? I'm tired. I'm cranky. I need a nap. You know what? I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to reschedule that meeting or I'm going to move that work I was going to do. I can do it later in the evening and I'm going to work it out with my husband. So the fluidity of going with the flow between everything that all the requirements and tasks of my day become be, has become somewhat easier because there's not that pressure of, I got to get it done now. And granted there are some times where that contract's got to get done now because I have to submit it tomorrow. You know, there's always going to be that, but I think the flow, the internal flow, taking the pressure off myself and understanding that it's, it's going to change, you know, today really sucks and today's pressured, today's going to end and tomorrow will be different. It really kind of takes on it. For me, it's taken on a different meaning because I have been able to see now with everything in my life, how my first birth went, how the second birth went, learning about, you know, really, really being in the middle of early childhood development with young children. It really just, it's a flow and it's a rhythm. Like I told those patients the other day, it's a rhythm and the rhythm changes, but the it's a rhythm and I can just, stay connected and go where the rhythm goes. Everybody usually makes it to the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you there. And and I've had that same experience where after my first child was born and being in the parenting game for a couple of years um, and then experiencing my second pregnancy, it was like, okay, you know, enough with this crazy, like forcing myself to do all these things that yeah. – that I felt like I had to do. No, I'm going to start learning how to say no and I'm going to start exercising my right to say no mm-hmm. and do the things that are going to really fill me up with joy, make me a better mom, make me a better music therapist okay. and, you know, kind of clear away the clutter. And that has been life-changing for me. Right? It really has. Oh my gosh, it's so freeing. It is. And it's nothing you learn in the book. And that's crazy. It's just like somebody could tell it to you. And I keep thinking about that. Somebody could tell, could have told me what I know. If I could have told my, you know, 10 year ago self, you need to take care of yourself and let it go. And it's going to change. I could tell myself that, but it wouldn't have registered. It wouldn't have clicked. You know, like what I was saying earlier about telling my students, everybody's got to get 
to their path of being a music therapist in their own way, because everybody has their own things to learn and work through. And, and it, I mean, and that's really what it is because I couldn't, it wouldn't have made sense to me 10 years ago, what I know now. And I probably wouldn't wish this path on anybody else, but apparently it's the path that I needed to get to where I am. So, you know, there you have it. It's this, it is what it is. And I'm sure it's going to change in the next 10 years. My husband and I went to go see that Inside Out movie. Oh, you know? yeah. I, I want to see that. I heard it's amazing. Bring tissue. It's fabulous. But what I love about it is that it really makes concrete kind of what I, you know, what we know a little bit about psychology and emotions. But there is a part in it. And I think the little girl in it is 11. After the movie was over, my husband was like, I'm like, you got misty. I, you, you cried, didn't you? He was oh. like. Yeah, he's like, because you know, we're not far from it. We're not far from that place of emerging puberty. And I know that's going to change everything all over again. You know, puberty and that whole young adult kind of stage, it's going to change all over again. So yeah, yeah, it's true. It's like you get used to one stage of your life and then you have the rug, (laughs) the rug lifted from underneath and everything changes. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. I'm crossing my fingers that another hurricane doesn't come through East Tennessee to change it all over again. <laughs> no kidding. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's so funny that it, I don't know, you know, like you were saying, it just, you get used to one thing and then it changes again. And it just, to be able to let go of all that pressure and that internal pressure and those expectations to just be, you know, I'm going to choose joy today. Yeah. I'm going to choose, you know, what makes me happy today. Granted, running contracts doesn't always make me happy, but <laughs> it it's something that I am choosing to do. I We are at the place where I can continue to choose to be a business owner. I'm not compelled for survival to have to find a job that doesn't bring me joy. You know, I am very grateful that the partnership I have with my husband in creating our family, he's been willing to work um, jobs and do things to keep our family, you know, sustained so that I can pursue, um, having a practice on my own and not having to, you know, find a position with, you know, that's not music therapy or that I could maybe sort of create into music therapy one day. We're not at that place or we haven't had to be yet knock on wood. So I'm grateful that I've been able like you said, to choose what makes me happy and to choose what I want to do. Well, I feel like you could, fill up like an entire series of podcasts about this topic (laughs) and, you know, write several books filled with advice. But if you had to, you know, sum things up into like two minutes, what advice would you give to other music therapists who are thinking about becoming parents or um, have just um, gotten to that place in their lives? You won't regret it. It's a big change. And it will teach you more than you ever thought you could learn. Um, I don't regret any minute of it. It's hard work, but it has deepened and enriched my life being a parent and a music therapist in ways that I could have ever, could not have even imagined. So it's not an easy road, but it's one you'll never regret, I think. Yeah, and I think that's something that we all need to hear, especially on those hard days where Yes. Things aren't, you know, all rose colored and wonderful and perfect. Yes. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, do you have any music therapy related projects or news that you'd like to share? Um, Yeah, actually, I am currently working on a research project that I'm 
really excited about. Um, I'm working on a project through the Knoxville Symphony Orchestra that I'm hoping will get published within the next year um, in various journals. Um, I'm going to submit it to JMT, but we are looking at the effects of, well, we looked at the uh, effects of live music in the waiting area of a cancer um, cancer treatment center. Um, and we did an observational study where uh, I had coders just mark data, mark down behaviors on a big grid. And so I'm right in the middle of kind of slugging through, kind of tallying all that up and we'll be working on the statistics this summer. So I'm really excited because there are some big differences with live music um, in the behaviors that we, that we marked. So I'm really excited that, um, to be able to put that little bit of research out. <clears throat> and then I'm also working on, um, with the symphony, um, trying to, um, get a kind of a collaboration going with music therapy and they're, uh, they send a violinist into a NICU at a, a local hospital here. And I've been working with them a lot on that. So to be able to kind of do a collaboration where there is both a live musician offering music to some patients under the supervision of a music therapist has been really exciting because there have been some good results. And my hope is to transfer that into actually creating music therapy with this, a music therapy position or a music therapy, you know, music therapy services with this particular NICU um, facility. So I'm really excited about that. Um, yeah, and then I'm I'm in in my private practice. I'm I'm looking to expand, hopefully in the next year, and take on an employee and maybe become an LLC. So there's there's lots of projects up the pipeline. Wow, very exciting <laughs> stuff. Actually, I'm I've been working on um, establishing a NICU music therapy program in our hospital for the last year or so. So it's a slow process, but, yes. but we're working well, on I might it. Call, I might need to call you later and see kind of what, what you've been doing. Because yeah, of course. I, w I would love to, to share and kind of um, get some ideas from you as well. Uh, very cool. Well, Alana, I have enjoyed this conversation so much and I feel like I've learned so much from you and I'm sure that thank our you. listeners have as well. Yeah. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to send Alana a message, you can connect with her via email, info at knoxvillemusictherapy.com or on Facebook, Alana Seaton, MMTBC. Would you like to be a guest on the show? Let me know. Get in touch and find the show notes for this episode at guitarsandgranolabars.com. And I would really appreciate it if you would take just a minute to rate and review the show on iTunes so that it reaches even more listeners. Thanks so much again, and I'll talk to you next week. Music